0: This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website.
1: Hello and welcome to Primal Screen, a Triple R film criticism show and podcast. I'm your host, Paul Anthony Nelson, and joining me in the studio are Sally Christie. Hello, Paul. And in her first appearance under the primal screen banner, Cerise Howard. Evening.
0: It's been a little while, Cerise.
2: Uh, Since what? I mean, the show's only a week old.
0: Okay, okay. (laughs) Since we've been on air together, it feels like a long time. I think it's probably been since November or something. Something like that.
2: Did you join us for
0: either of our countdowns?
1: Uh yes, for the uh, yeah year the, one, right? the
2: year one, but not the decade one. Yeah, that was a bridge too far.
1: <laughs> Just nine too many years. Yeah, to look at. Um, so if you didn't tune in last week and are wondering why the theme is different and why the hosts of Plato's Cave are calling ourselves Primal Screen, that's because as of this year we've rebranded for a brand new era, building upon the Plato's Cave legacy with a slightly different outlook for the 2020s, as well as some subtle structural changes to the show, including a quick hit of movie news and the occasional interview. We're the same show you know and love, but with a new identity. Speaking of which, let's lead into the Primal Screen news bulletin for this week. We're going to have to
0: get some, some kind of sound bite. Happening we
1: do. That. No, no, that that was great. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Paul, you have with... to do it live every week. <laughs> stay with that.
1: Now, Cerise, I'll let you lead off Why? Um, because you are our show's answer to the Grim Reaper. Mm.
2: <laughs> uh, is this about Kirk Douglas? It might perhaps? be about
1: a 103 year old actor who died during the weekend. Yeah.
2: I mean, he hadn't acted for a while, to be fair.
1: No, since 2008's TV movie Empire State Building
2: Murders. Yeah, so some might say, what An had he done? Role.
1: What had a he done? Very iconic for- role. <laughs> he, he went out strong. Empire State Murders. Oh. Okay. I, I, from, yeah, but from his debut in 1946's The Strange Love of Martha
2: Ivers? Yeah, well, he, he racked up uh, a pretty formidable uh, filmography. Um, he was, of course, Spartacus, but then again, in a way, weren't we all? Yes. <laughs> Um Paths of Glory, my favourite role of his, I think, actually, where his chin worked overtime that dimple just led the way and again he sort of took one for the team there. Um, spoilers. Uh oh, that's a great film. Yeah, it's brilliant. Uh yeah, look, he brought gave us Michael Douglas. Um <laughs> Which which is it to be? Mocked? No, necessarily. Michael Douglas has turned in some very good work. First, actually, as a producer before really becoming a, a big screen. I've, I've been doing some big yeah? mocking of Michael Douglas
0: this very week. Yeah, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I've been doing some work on Basic Instinct and laughing at his V-neck that he wears in the mm. nightclub hey, scene.
2: There, I will not hear a bad okay. word about the V-neck. Right. I am it's so a into conversation into that. for a. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but look, I mean, yeah, Kirk Douglas truly an iconic figure with a, a rags-to-riches story that is one much mythologized. Um Including
1: oh, by himself, he wrote a book called yeah. The Ragman's Son, yeah. so literally rags-to-riches.
2: Yeah, um, yeah it, seemingly all-American, but actually I think a Russian Jew mm-hmm. um, transplanted to the US and made it big on screen in such films as Ace in the Hole and many other Chisel-jawed, iconic <laughs> roles. Besides,
1: he was nominated for three Oscars for nineteen forty nine's *Champion*, nineteen fifty two's *The Bad and the Beautiful*, and 1956's six's for Life*. So, two Vincent Maselli, uh, Vincent Manelli films and
2: mm-hmm. one Vincent Van Gogh. <laughs>
1: Second item of news for this week, a uh, friend of the show, Plato's Cave alumni and possibly the best Australian film writer out there, Alexandra Helen Nicholas, won the Ivan Hutchinson Award for writing from the Australian Film Critics Association during the week for her piece on the 1988 Australian movie classic Shame, which we reviewed as a retro title last year. A couple of people, including yourself, Paul, thought I was crying
0: on air over, which I promise I wasn't, even though I was moved, but Alex is an incredible writer. She really deserves this. I think, did she win, was it a couple of years ago, for a piece that she wrote on Fury Road as well?
1: I think you're right, yeah.
0: Yeah, so um, she is a fantastic writer, and you know, not just in Australia, but overseas as well. Lots of people love Alex's writing for very, very good reasons, so huge congratulations to her. She deserves it. All of this.
2: <laughs> and folks can access that piece of writing on Shame, not just in Metro, where it was originally published, but on the Australian Film Critics Association website.
1: I can indeed. Congratulations, Alex. And she's become a regular fixture in um, Arrow Blu-ray. Yes. Yeah, special features and, gui- and and guides as well. So she's awesome. The Independent Spirit Film Awards happened last night with the Farewell winning Best Film and Best Supporting Actress for Zhao Shuzhen uh, while two films we'll be discussing tonight Also won The Lighthouse Took out Best Supporting Actor for Willem Dafoe And Best Cinematography While Uncut Gems uh, Won Best Director for the Safety Brothers Best Editing And yes, improbably Best Actor for Adam Sandler And speaking of awards Now, they don't get more bigger or more pompous than the Oscars <laughs> So, what started as the most predictable Oscars ceremony in recent history? Renée Zellweger, Joaquin Phoenix, Laura Dern and Brad Pitt won the acting categories, 1917 won Cinematography, Parasite won Best Original Screenplay and Best International Feature and Jojo Rabbit won Best Adapted Screenplay. But until it wound up producing the most stunning last-act plot twist in potentially all of Oscars history, even more than the La La Land Moonlight mix-up, <laughs> when Bong Joon-ho was awarded Best Director for Parasite, which was then awarded Best Picture, being the first non-English language film in the Academy Awards' 92-year history to win the prize. Which is interesting, given all the talk about whether the Oscars is the Americans' local film awards, like the Baftas, the Actors, or the Césars, and potentially turns that concept on its head. What did you all think of that?
0: I wish that I had have um, put money on the Oscars because I would have won a lot of money. <laughs> like it was just it. like you said, Paul. It was very predictable. Um, I remember coming away from Judy and going, oh, "Okay, Renee Zellweger is going to win Best Actress, Joaquin Phoenix going to win Best Actor." Um, I haven't watched it yet. I've just been kind of looking at live updates throughout the day, but uh, I'm I'm very very happy that Parasite did come away with um Best Picture and, you know, made a little bit of – there was some cinema history that happened today. So it was very exciting.
2: Yeah, whether it, it leads to a wholesale upheaval of what is considered eligible for the Oscars mm. remains to be seen. I, I am highly dubious of that because I don't think Hollywood actually needs or, or rather wants that level of competition for its own product – because there are so many films released around the world routinely better than most Hollywood fare, uh-huh. so um, I can't really see them throwing uh, the the bathwater. Hang, what's that idiom? <laughs> Throw the, the baby Maybe. out with the bathwater. Yeah, yeah. Is there even a bath?
0: Yeah.
1: But this anymore.
2: metaphor is very poorly thought out. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> Bong Joon-ho also the first uh, person and the only one since Walt Disney to win four Oscars in one ceremony. Hmm. So he—it's a hell of an arrival. So congratulations uh, to uh, Bong and Co. Did
0: we think there were any other surprises, or just with Paris? No, that's
1: the thing—the money wouldn't have got you anywhere because most categories paid about a dollar two. Yeah. Um, I think the other surprise this is was why I don't gamble because I would be rubbish. At it. <laughs> Ford versus Ferrari winning best sound editing over nineteen seventeen, mm-hmm. and Bombshell winning makeup and hairstyling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the closest things to upsets I've ever been—it was so predictable. We'll sing sea shanties and go slowly insane in The Lighthouse. We'll find out why David Lynch is interrogating a monkey and What Did Jack Do? We'll stress out with Adam Sandler and Uncut Gems. And we'll raise alpacas with Nicolas Cage and get Lovecraftian with Colour Out of Space. This is a really hectic episode. I didn't Just read a it. Bit. Yeah,
0: they're all very intense films.
1: <laughs> First up. You're drunk. You don't know what you're talking. How can I possibly like the horse shit? You fix us for supper.
2: You're drunk. I. You won't be saying that. Kitchen shanty cooks, no, Yeah, was right going three you're times a day. You're Country drunk. You're
1: drunk. Your drunk.
2: I'm drunk. I'm drunk. I know
1: me. The Lighthouse is the second film from writer-director Robert Eggers about two lighthouse keepers newbie Ephraim Winslow, played by Robert Pattinson, and veteran Thomas Wake, played by Willem Dafoe, who tried to maintain their sanity while on assignment on a remote and mysterious New England island in the 1890s. Sally, time to spill your beans. <laughs> um, I
0: saw this for the first time at the R subscriber screening last week. I've been waiting to see it for oh, a very, very long time. Um, I'm a huge fan of Robert Egger's first film, The Witch, I think it may it did make my top 10 films of the decade. This was so incredible. Um I feel like we've be- I everything that I've watched recently uh I feel really quite spoiled with I feel like we're getting lots of really incredible cinema this being um one of the best that I've seen in a long time. It's Okay, the witch is very very serious and this is so funny. It's got, you know, it's really sort of dark undertones, but it is a really, really funny movie. And I really admire the way that um, Robert Eggers plays with dialect and everything. We see that in The Witch as well, that um, he's looking at sort of period pieces and we almost see these two separate dialects coming from Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson's characters here that he's really worked with. And it's it makes you completely transport to that space and time. Um, We're not in the here and now. It's really incredible storytelling. He's not interested in making message movies. He's interested in telling a story and transporting an audience there, which I think he does so incredibly well. And I've, just seen a picture of him recently, and he's really young. He's just a baby, and he's That's going crazy. to do such great things. I'm so excited by Robert Eggers and everything that he does. Um, can't say enough good things about this film, to be honest. Really, I loved it. I loved it so much.
2: You'd eat his lobster I would, happily. I would eat
0: his lobster. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: if you had a steak, you'd... No. <laughs> yeah,
2: this was a, a, quite a lot of fun, very daft film, rather beautiful um, lots of uh, antiquated uh, salty sea dog dialogue and curious use of um, a largely outmoded aspect ratio, which uh, the Focus Cinema Nova thought required a heads-up before the film started.
0: Nova do that. They did that with mid-90s as well. Yeah, that's you, right. That's yeah. I, remember. Heads I up. wish
2: they'd then follow that up with actually masking the image. <laughs> that would yes. be nice. Right? <laughs> But then I suppose ultimately this will have a, a longer life on probably people's screens in their homes, in which case they will, they will similarly have a, a pillar boxed experience. Not my dream anyway. But look, it's still managed to fall into the peculiar universe that this film creates, and enjoy it. Especially that particular snatch of dialogue we were treated to just then is for me that was actually the most hilarious episode within the. <laughs> Film, but there's some some wonderfully silly, strange stuff as madness takes uh, a, it's um, a hold upon one or both protagonists, or <laughs> mm. well, perhaps the entire film. Um, I was put in mind of another favourite film um, set around a lighthouse with similarly uh, similar fondness for olden times, um, both cinema as well as just. Um, anachronistic dialogue and, and odd oddball behaviour. And that's Guy Madden's Brand Upon the Brain, ah, mm-hmm. set in a mom-and-pop lighthouse, mom, mom lighthouse in just which zombieism is afoot.
0: On a, a, a Just to throw to a little sidebar, speaking of Alex, um, Helen Nicholas, she has written a really good piece. I think it was for Diabolic magazine, inspired by The Lighthouse, by films around lighthouses. So that's oh, worth cool. sort of checking out if you're interested in this.
2: Yeah, yeah. there's mm. definitely drawing from a few sources, and especially literary sources, to to get that particular Moby Dick quality to the very salty dialogue, especially Willem Dafoe's uh, character. He's, he's, he is extraordinary. Dafoe is generally – we expect great things. Uh, yeah, Robert Pattinson held his own too, I felt, though.
0: I really like yeah. him. Yeah, I thought he was
2: terrific. I think mm.
0: he's – I've never seen Twilight. I have never seen – to be honest, I know he gets, you know – um, painted with a twilight brush a bit, but everything I've seen him in, I think that he's really great. I think he's a great actor.
1: Particularly if you put this, High Life, and The Rover side by mm-hmm. side. I think the three terrific oh. performances. And good time.
2: Yep. Yeah, We're and, absolutely. Come, yeah. come to the Safety Brothers mm-hmm. a bit later in the show, but yeah, in their previous film, he was pretty wonderful too. Yeah, look, when you're holding your own against Willem Dafoe, you're, you're doing well.
1: Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, I. The Lighthouse. I mean, look, one, bless you, A24. And your regency for making this happen.
0: When um the A24 logo came up at the Triple R subscriber screening last week, someone cheered. <laughs> So I thought, okay, that's nice. That production company is getting you know cheered.
1: That's some brand, mm, uh, yep. brand uh, confidence right there. Uh-huh. Uh, look, you, you can have your bloody Ari Aster. Robert Eggers is my my guy. I'm I'm literally can't wearing. Can have them both? No. I, well, I you can you could be the taco girl. Why can't we have both? I'm wearing my black Philip T-shirt tonight, um, in honor of the witch, which uh, is is great. But this is, I thought this was kind of. Remarkable I was floored by this film from the first frame Um there's a beautiful cinematography in the, in as you say cerise the 117 aspect ratio the constant sound of foghorns in the background and the sound design in this film incredible. was absolutely amazing. Um, the, Amazing. And like you said, Sally, the detail that, that Eggers puts into everything um, and the remarkable lead performances um, from, from Pattinson, but yeah, but particularly to Fo, who's like, should have been a pirate. Like, what the hell?
0: <laughs> Emma Westwood said that to me uh, last week. She said, why haven't we seen him be a sea captain before? Why is this the first time this is happening? <laughs> it's,
1: it's perfection. But it's this... Kind of feverish, hilarious satire of all sorts of modes of masculinity. You know, uh, it's it's interesting because I think Eggers is quite. I think he's I think he's skewered. You know, like he skewered Puritans in The Witch, and he's skewering masculinity here. I think he's I think he's like a like a low key satirist mm. in terms of as well as creating these beautiful atmospheric horror films that always stick the landing. There's this kind of bewitching atmosphere of dread that's part David Lynch, part Carl Theodore Dreyer, but then with a the touch of Buster Keaton. Like, there's times when Pattinson is like crawling out of a, out of a like a giant barrel or it's, something. It's a very
0: like, funny movie. Yeah, like there's really good comedic moments in this film. Racing, not up just the, the farts. No, the not other, just
1: yeah. Willem Dafoe's yeah. goddamn
2: farts. Yeah, um, there's the lowbrow stuff as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that really hits too. <laughs>
1: And, but this, but also probably the most bracingly convincing cinematic descent and madness I've seen in a long, long time. Um, so just like, the entire thing keeps you laughing and on edge and just utterly bewitched. I thought this is... this. I, I'm saying it now. This is the film to beat for 2020 for me. I, I, th- I thought it was incredible.
0: That's, we're in February. That's a, a big call. But, yeah, I, I, I agree, Paul, that it would take a lot to kind of... This This Me Too. I really loved it. I really went on this journey with them. It was an incredible film.
2: I'd love to see this on a double bill with Brand Upon the Brain. Yes. Madness yeah. in Lighthouses. Um, that oh, would be and, fun. And
1: the, the sense of humour of Eggers and Madden would, would yep. really complement yeah. each other. Yeah, well yeah, well.
2: Well. yeah, it would. There's a perverse sense of humour and an overinvestment in um, bygone times. Yes. And, <laughs> um, and, and simulating them in a way which, I mean, no one could ever watch this. I think this could ever have been made in 1920 something or 30 something much as it might harken back to that time uh so yeah i really really enjoyed it too i don't know that i'd quite place it on the pedestal you just have paul i think that's a, a touch premature but uh to each other <laughs> shot i'm yeah. it.
1: i'm pointing at the stands <laughs> this is the one uh, but we'll see it's a big year ahead The Lighthouse is now screening at all good cinemas. Now, as David Lynch is a clear influence on The Lighthouse, we thought we just might spend a couple of minutes checking out the director's newest short film, What Did Jack Do?, which I can't help saying in his his voice, What Did Jack Do?, (laughs) which was made for the Fondation Cartier in 2016, but premiered on Netflix last month on Lynch's 74th birthday. In a lockdown train station, a homicide detective conducts an interview with a tormented monkey who is suspected of murder. Sal?
0: So? Um, so okay. I'm, I'm glad that you clarified that because I had seen that the release date was like 2017, but we only got it on Netflix last. Yes, last month. Last month. Yeah. Um, I, I watched this last week and went into where It started. There's it's David Lynch talking to a monkey, and I was thinking, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> um, within the first minute, and then that was your reaction. That was that was oh, my reaction. But, delighted from but, second one. <laughs> From um, five seconds in, I was completely (laughs) delighted and was just like, oh, my God, this is the most incredible thing I've ever seen. Did this monkey do it? Did he not do it? And then, oh, when the monkey started singing, so good. (laughs) This
1: is
0: (laughs) pure David Lynch. It's so worth checking out. It was completely delightful. I loved it.
1: An interrogation that takes place almost entirely with film noir cliches. Yes. Um, A monkey in a suit. Uh, A capuchin monkey in a suit who's trying to shiftily evade questions as to his potential uh, infatuation with a chicken named Tatataban. We
0: really love Tatataban, though. (laughs) Tatataban makes an appearance, so we have a chicken in there, a monkey.
1: (laughs) And and David Lynch looking spectacularly coiffed and smoking and and very, very film noir detective-y. And uh, and even David Lynch's uh, wife, Emily Stoffel, makes a cameo as as a waitress. Yeah, I just found this an absolute delight, and yeah, by the time the monkey starts singing, it's just it's and of course like the monkey is voiced by David Lynch, including a, a weird superimposed mouth, mouth
0: but that looks a bit shit, <laughs> but you know it's meant to look a bit shit. Um, yeah, really delightful. It was. Uh, I, I'm glad that we spoke about this tonight because I kind of didn't want it to go on under the radar yeah. with net, as things do on Netflix. Um, often, I'm not aware of things. Streaming on Netflix unless somebody tells me about it, and I had a student tell me that this was on, oh, so wow. I was like, "Oh, okay, I'll go and watch that." And yeah, so definitely, I think it's what fourteen minutes, long? seventeen 17? minutes,
1: mm. and it's absolutely worth your time. Yeah, uh, you are listening. Uh, so, what did Jack do? Is now a streaming on Netflix. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. Triple so our next film for this evening, uh, let's put on a bit, shall we? From stone to stone, garnet to stone, you know that. That's a million dollar opal you hold, straight from the Ethiopian Jewish tribe. I mean, this is old school, middle earth. You've got a dinosaur gym. The dinosaurs,
2: that's right, the dinosaurs.
1: If that sounded hectic, just wait till you see the whole film. Uncut Gems is the fifth narrative feature from brothers Josh and Benny Safty about Howard Ratner, Adam Sandler, a charismatic New York City jeweller who's always on the lookout for the next big score, making a series of high-stakes bets that could lead to the windfall of a lifetime. Howard's entire life is a precarious high wire act, balancing business, family, and encroaching adversaries on all sides in his relentless pursuit of the ultimate win. Meanwhile, the audience has a collective anxiety attack. Sally, you, uh, or Cerise, rather, uh, did you find this film to be a rough
2: diamond or a, uh, <laughs> a cheap knockoff? A cheap knockoff? Never a cheap knockoff. Uh, this is great. This is a, um, it is a very tense film um adam sandler i i didn't know he had this in him so that was quite a revelation he's um an extremely compelling protagonist extremely frustrating <laughs> yep. but i sort of get used to that a bit with the safeties films their protagonists are not your your conventional leading roles they're they're always flawed to say the least and this is a whole universe i don't think I will ever encounter in my life. And yet I get a real sense of um, almost a documentary-like verism in this film, this this whole uh, setting uh, close to Times Square. I believe there's this whole jewellery precinct and there are people, there are these wheelers and dealers. I don't know how many of them are, are quite as horrendous a character as this Howard Ratner, Adam Sandler's character and just how many of them run on just seemingly desperation and adrenaline and a gambling high which could threaten to become a terrible low digging himself ever deeper a hole at any moment but he holds the film it's it's a, a real high wire act um uh, I mean, obviously it's extraordinarily well directed as well he's well directed the the choreography of the film and the the sound design it's like there's always live mics in every space that mm. this film shoots in, just carrying all sorts of murmuring and other things, just to generally not just provide ambience, but actually just ratchet up the tension a little more because you sense that there are lots of other nervous folks in any given scene, not least because Sandler's character is making everyone around him exceedingly <laughs> nervous throughout the whole film too. that's really really uh, transmits from the screen to... At least to me, the view. I'm sure it did to you too, Sally. Am I not right?
0: Well, I watched this. I got this really brand amazing pair of brand new wireless headphones. And this was the first film I was like, okay, I'm going to put these headphones on that are spectacular and watch a movie. And it was Uncut Gems and I nearly had a nervous breakdown <laughs> <laughs> because of the detail with the sound design. Within the first five minutes, I think there's five conversations going over the top of each other. And its I have not had a film affect, I guess, my body in this way in such a long time that by the end of it, I was just a ball of tension um, and it's not just – it's the way that they direct conversation. I know a lot of it was really heavily scripted but they had they did also let um, actors kind of extend on things, sort of do free flow. But, um, yeah, it, oh, my God, I'm still processing it. But an, another thing that I found incredible about Uncut Gems is its exploration of addiction through gambling, which I don't think we see as often as we do with alcohol or drugs in film mm. and it is an addiction that, you know, is a, is a huge issue and the frustration that comes with addiction is conveyed in this film so well you we, what you were saying before, Cerise, where you're going, stop it, just go home, mm-hmm. enough's enough, like let it go and he can't and there's one particular scene towards the end where I wanted to rip my hair out of my head and I was like, <laughs> you are fucking kidding me, like no way. Um, This is a truly, truly remarkable film. It is not a pleasant watch. Um, I felt pretty rotten for at least half an hour after watching it. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I was a total ball of nerves. So it was the wrong choice for me to watch with with my new wireless (laughs) headphones. I
2: I actually watched it in headphones too and I wonder if anyone watching it uh, with more of a conventional, say, cinematic type setup, mm. say a Dolby 5.1 or something like that in you know, home theater, might have a different experience because yeah. that sound might be more spatialized. Because it was mm. this c-
0: consistent chatter in my ears, which yeah. just really—oh, believe me, I yep. remember. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, was
1: so so intense. I remember feeling stressed by the trailer to this film, going, <laughs> "What is this?" Yeah, um, my. My partner watched it with a pillow over her face for half the movie. I, like,
0: I, I completely relate to that. So that many. Was, yeah, my experience
1: too. So many people have had this reaction. Mm. Like, this is just ultra stra- – oh, my God, this is terrifying. I just kept shouting at the screen, why are you living your life? Like, this? stop it. <laughs> it's, it's like – it's this great study of the chaos of hubris, ego, hopelessness and narcissism that all comes with addiction, mm. I guess, in this kind of, you know, late capitalist kind of setting. Um but the way, as is sensory, so the way it's orchestrated in terms of the staging, the blocking, the cinematography and the sound design is brilliant. Like, it's just such be- beautifully controlled chaos um, that constantly feels like it's going out of control. And Sandler is this kind of unlikely yet strangely perfect avatar for the Safdies. He, is, he was He's great. Terrific. Like, really amazing. Like, fast talking, on edge, has this yep. cheesy charm. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, really, it's a really great performance and he really should have been... Oscar nominated did for Did this it, get uh, I don't I don't follow the Oscars that closely <laughs> to be honest, but this, did this no, get any nods? No. Nothing? It got it won three independent spirit awards, That's but no Oscar nominations.
0: Quite surprising. I
1: yeah. I was actually really impressed also with um Julia Fox, who's in her very first movie as his mistress, as Julia, and who sort of starts as what seems like a cliche and it kind of ends up the beating heart of the movie. Mm-hmm. She's terrific. Like, she was good. It was interesting
0: how they also incorporated, uh, you know, people like the weekend, Kevin Garnett, mm. that are actual, you know, personalities into this this film. You know, giving yeah. them narratives to follow.
1: Uh the minute he gets does what he does with Kevin Garnett's ring, I'm just like, oh God, <laughs> no, what, not yeah. what, not what. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this is this is just a breathless two and a quarter hour anxiety attack. Um, but worth it. it. Absolutely worth worth it. It. Um, A great modern New Yorks movie as well. Mm -hmm. We don't get enough of those these days, I find. like They're a regular fixture in the 70s and 80s. I love a New York film. Um, Adam Sandler also said that he did spend
0: quite a lot of time around the Jewellery District and not worked but spent time in these shops with these jewelers who some of the jewelers are in the film so there are some quite authentic figures from this yeah. New York jewelry district there near Times Square that come in and out of uncut gems
2: there's a, quite a few cultures or subcultures very convincingly represented yep. into the the high stakes basketball world um, these these clubs sort of uh, you know black new york is not something we see on screen as often as mm-hmm. white New York, mm-hmm. even if it's still a, a migrant white New York, or in this case a Jewish-focused, Jewish-centric mm-hmm. New York. Um, but then, uh, even even the heavies in this film, because uh, of course you've got to have some heavies. I don't know why Adam Sandler doesn't have a few more. He's, he seems to be <laughs> he desperately short. <laughs> he, he occasionally is helped out just you know just through sheer luck than than anything rather than anything else. But the the two baddies who uh, his. Is he kind of a family member, this Arno, this mysterious guy? Yeah, Derenice, yes. I think he's, yeah. He's, he's a brother in law. Yeah, 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 but By he's. Eric Bigosian, Yes, Eric yeah. Yeah. Who's, who's got these two remarkable heavies, one in particular, who's. Um, <laughs> Here's a chiseled face to reckon he is with. petrifying. Mm. He is Isn't terrifying, he? yeah. Incredibly charismatic, but also not a cliche somehow. Exactly. There's some really interesting things that develop. It's such an unpredictable film. Um, And you'd think an addiction narrative would actually be fiercely predictable. Yeah. But it somehow keeps confounding expectations and throws in um, just a a wonderful little prelude too, just to really... If you've seen the trailer, you're thinking, New York, New York, New York. And, in fact, we start in Ethiopia and then quickly mm. move towards um, a commentary delivered over the top of footage of a colonoscopy. <laughs> now, where is this film going? Yeah. Up
1: <laughs> It's fantastic. Such a great opening. But also, I'm watching it, the opening in Ethiopia, and I, I turned and I said, this reminds me of The Exorcist.
0: I thought the exact same thing. That was my first thing.
1: Look at the typeface. Of the 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 Ethiopian thing and the typeface of northern Iraq in the thing, it's the same mm. typeface. Wow, because that was my first thought
0: as well, Paul. I was like, this is exactly like the
1: opening of the Exorcist. They use the same mm. font uh, yeah. Yeah. to wow. introduce the location. So yeah, it's a complete Exorcist reference, which I thought well-played safeties
2: yeah and there's a lovely sort of trip sequence to a cosmic you can see the universe yes, the, you know, which, which actually relates really well to the final film we'll discuss too that's um so that, that that um something that transcending matter mm. um and and breaking it down into light and uh yeah look i mean it was what a bewitching start and then you go through to adam sandler and then the tension actually starts yep. to mount properly and Oh, it's a ride, isn't it?
1: It really really is. Just yeah, just uh, do something nice and and calming afterwards. <laughs> Uncut Gems is now screening on uh, now streaming on Netflix. Independently Yours, Triple R 102.7. Color Out of Space is the much much long-awaited third ver- uh, third narrative feature from Richard Stanley. An updated adaptation of H.P. Lovecraft's short story of Cosmic Terror about the Gardeners, a family who moved to a remote farmstead in rural New England to escape the hustle of the city. They are busy adapting to their new life, raising alpacas, when a meteorite crashes into their front yard. The mysterious rock seems to melt into the earth, infecting both the land and the properties of space-time with a strange otherworldly colour. A shade of pinky purple. To their horror, the Gardner family discover this alien force is gradually mutating every life form that it touches, including them. Cerise, did this film have you ready to invest in alpacas, the animal of the future?
2: <laughs> oh, look, I'd have happily, if offered, uh, invested in them long ago, but that's it, just never come up. Uh, <laughs> That, that look—they don't steal the show for me. This isn't This is. <laughs> there's more to this film than some cute llama-like critters. Um, I mean, there is of course Nicolas Cage, being Nicolas Cage mm-hmm. uh, in a couple of his settings. Uh, you know, there's fairly normal, and then there's Nicolas Cage. <laughs> um, but he doesn't get to totally run off with the whole film. The whole film gets to go batshit crazy on its own terms a little. <laughs> Um, And it's a slow burn at first, at least, anyway. um, And and a curious one. Uh, Of of all the things that Richard Stanley might have come back uh, to the cinema with, I I wouldn't necessarily have picked a a Lovecraft adaptation. I I always cast him in my mind as this sort of 90s character, quite gothy. Uh, I think of hardware and sort of a bit of cyberpunk back in the day. This is a, re- a really odd film, uh, an old style of horror transplanted to current-ish times, can't quite get a handle on exactly when it's set, but people do have mobile phones. Mm-hmm. They just don't necessarily work very well once exposed to cosmic radiation or something. Um, there, there's a lot about this that just reminded me actually of certain slightly undercooked 80s horrors where you get some mm-hmm. characters introduced who are just there to establish that they have some sort of relationship that ultimately isn't particularly um, consequential with some of the main characters, like a mayor who was going to buy the house but was thwarted and then storms off. Played by Kiranka
1: Kilcher from Terence Malick's The New World, like an actress I literally haven't seen since.
2: Yeah, well, it's just that sort of throwaway stuff. It can be a bit glib. And Tommy Chong, I mean, would someone ever cast Tommy Chong as someone other than Tommy Chong? I mean, he gets to totally phone in doing what he does as well. I mean, that seems really lazy to me and, and kind of pointless. Um, but then there were some real pleasures in this. Some of the stuff does go to some pretty wacky places and uh, children are placed in peril, which is always a delight. <laughs> it's always and, fun, and, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> um, yeah, and there are a few laughs to be had, some of them ex- as you'd expect from Nicolas Cage really bringing it. But uh, everyone gets to be a bit hysterical at times, and there's almost everyone, and, and there are some surprises Uh, including involving the alpacas, but it's still, there's a lot more to this film than the alpacas.
0: I know Nicholas Cage said that he really enjoyed working with the alpacas <laughs> and he would work with them again if he had the chance. <laughs> they um, get so much focus in this film. They're, quite, they're pretty delightful. <laughs> uh, I, I think we're hyping them up a bit much. I think everyone listening to this is going to go and think it's an alpaca-based story, oh, which it's, you, it's not. They you love are alpacas, You
1: probably I don't know if you do yeah. want to
0: see this. Yeah, um, I, I, I enjoyed watching this. I thought it was a good, solid little horror movie. Um, You know, that was nothing How long has it been since Richard Stanley has done a narrative? It's been a long time Since
1: 1992 So, what's that, Twenty. years? Well, he had a go with
2: the Isle of Dr Moreau And that didn't go so well
1: No, but that was the thing. He was kicked off that after three Don't bring that up to Emma Westwood because she loves that. Are you
0: serious? Yeah, she loves it. She's not here. We can talk about it. She's not here better. (laughs) She loves it.
1: (laughs) Of course, he was famously kicked off that film after three days but stayed around in Queensland and infiltrated the set dressed as a dog man. But that's a whole other thing. (laughs) This is the first full feature he's directed since 1992's Dust Devil, the first being 1990's Hardware. Yeah.
0: But yeah, I did. I like this. I like the way that it played with um, you know, our our senses when we're scared, it really sort of focused in on, you know, uh sound with Nicolas Cage's character sorry, with the um the daughter's character and smell with Nicolas Cage's character. I like that how it had a kind of sensory element to it and obviously visually as well. Um, I like that there were all well. 95% practical effects used mm. in this that were sort of then just coloured in. So I, I, I always appreciate that. I, I think going back to The Lighthouse as well where we see that all the sets were built for that in that film, mm. if I know that some people have worked really, really hard building things, like it brings me great pleasure and I like that with this with the practical effects as well. Um, Nicolas Cage did still the show in this for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked him in both. He's he's two very different characters in this film. At the start of it, he's just kind of a very daggy dad. I really enjoyed him in that role. And um, as things kind of get batshit towards the end of it, I also, what's there not to love about Nicolas Cage when he gets crazy? So, yeah, there, there was. I just thought it was
2: a nice, solid little horror movie. And there were a few refreshing differences. So adults having sex I like precipitates that too. Yes. The chaos rather than yes. teens. Yes, yep.
0: yeah. Yeah, I... I that I noted that as well, Cerise. I thought that was a nice sort of yeah. thing to put in there.
1: I kind of found this like Annihilation, but goofy. Yes. Yeah, it was yep. very
0: much like Annihilation. It was very much like a combination of – the Shining, Annihilation, The Thing, yeah. Um, yeah.
1: But like a goofy mm-hmm. <laughs> like, Annihilation though? Like, it's just so, like, you've got Cage in weird dad mode before he like, flips <laughs> out. And he, like, literally does rant about alpacas throughout the film. It's hilarious. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's also, I'm like you, Cerise, it's a bit good news, bad news with this film. Like, I think there's times it's visually inventive and I think Seth Danley does tap into a sense of the uncanny at times. One the fate of Jolly Richardson in this film is one of the most horrifying things I've seen on Mm. screen in a long time. Um, It's genuinely disturbing. Um, but then it's also kind of a meandering, wheel-spinning narrative with too many useless asides. Like you're saying, all these characters, yeah, side characters the, the that character, serve no um, real purpose. Who is, I guess, kind of a central character? What is he?
0: The water? Boy? Oh, the hydrologist. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah he yeah. he felt he felt a bit redundant to me. Yeah. And didn't necessarily need to be there.
1: And and mm. it's been said that um, SpectreVision, the producers and Stanley, are doing like a three film. They're, they're obviously they're creating like a mini um, universe um, of of um, Lovecraft films. Mm-hmm. So. Maybe there's characters who are going to turn up in other things. And okay. I think Miskatonic University plays a part, mm-hmm. but yeah, increasingly deflating suspense and kind of clunky writing. But but yeah, when this it's the thing. When this film works, it works beautifully, and when it doesn't, it really doesn't. But you know, look, it's a it's a swing, and Stanley's a one of a kind kind of character. So
2: alpacas. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's got
0: alpacas in it. for anyone that yeah. was listening and wasn't sure if there were alpacas <laughs> in this film or not.
1: Colour Out of Space is now screening at selected independent cinemas. You're listening to Primal Screen.
2: Triple R.
1: You've been listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Sally Christie, Cerise Howard and myself, Paul-Anthony Nelson. We discuss The Lighthouse, now screening at all good independent cinemas, Uncut Gems and What Did Jack Do, which are both currently streaming on Netflix, and Colour Out of Space, which is now in limited release at selected independent cinemas. You can listen back to the show within half an hour on Triple R on demand or check out the songs we played on the Primal Screen page at rrr.org.au right now. You can also subscribe to the Primal Screen podcast via iTunes or wherever else you find your favourite podcasts. Next week, we'll look at the Oscar-nominated documentary for Sama. We'll have our first interview of the year as we chat to Sian Mitchell, the festival director of the Melbourne Women in Film Festival, and review the fest's opening night film, Vi. A huge thank you to Morty Osborne for editing the Primal Screen podcast, Keller Carl Chapman for panelling the show, and Lisa Kovacevic for producing our show.